Hey everyone, what if a simple tool could change your life? And it's not Drake. Today's book is The Checklist Manifesto, which if you change five letters becomes The Communist Manifesto. (laughs) You're communist now. (laughs) And check. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and... Before I started making a packing checklist, I bought at least seven phone chargers in five different states. (laughs) And I'm David Vance. I found this book to be useful, concise, and process-oriented, or what I call a (laughs) page-turner. In the Checklist Manifesto, Atul Gawande shows that a simple checklist can make you much better at your job, something I already knew from listening to The Ten Crack Commandments. And this is The Book Pile. Again, thanks so much to everyone who's left a rating and review. We super appreciate it. And uh, we'd love for you to leave a review if you haven't. Number one reader 13 says, Dave and Kellen are so funny and relatable, parentheses, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) They know exactly the kind of review we like to react to. (laughs) Well, I think it's fine. They're they're being honest. I think it would be weird if everyone who listened to this also was like partially unemployed but also did comedy (laughs) wait which one of us is that that's the riddle (laughs) it's both that quote i read last week about how amos tversky said it's good to be a little underemployed i show that to my girlfriend all the time (laughs) huh If you want to read the next book before we get to it, uh, next week's episode will be on The Power of Moments, which is uh, my favorite book that I've read this year thus far. And the book after that will be The Martian, which is the true story of how Jason Bourne got trapped on Mars. (laughs) And without further ado, here are our four favorite lessons from the Checklist Manifesto. Lesson one, checklists help you apply what you already know. So he tells this story. This guy comes into the emergency room and he got stabbed at a Halloween party, which, you know, has got to suck because everyone's like, oh, what are you like a stabbed guy, (laughs) like a stabbed Wario? (laughs) Anyway, normal stab wound. The team does the basic stuff they would do to treat a stab wound. And then he passes out and his blood pressure plummets. And they're like, oh, crap, this is way more serious than, than we thought. And they barely save his life. And the problem was they forgot to ask what the weapon was because he didn't get stabbed with a knife. He got stabbed with a bayonet, meaning the Halloween party was awesome. (laughs) So basically they had this step they knew they were supposed to do and they forgot to do it. And the consequences were huge. And the basic idea of the book is checklists help you remember the things you already know, but that you sometimes forget. The other lesson in the book is, hey, just, just bring a fake bayonet (laughs) alternatively if the guy you're arguing with has a bayonet don't escalate (laughs) just ask for a treat the next halloween (laughs) so the author says you know there are two kinds of failures there's ignorance where you don't know what to do and then there's ineptitude where you know what to do and you just don't do it and checklists really help you with ineptitude (laughs) so in my life here's some of the checklists i've started keeping since reading this book that have helped me a ton so like kellen mentioned I keep a packing checklist just so I don't forget stuff on each trip. It's been incredibly helpful. I keep a checklist for starting my day, a checklist for prepping this podcast, a checklist for performing. It's crazy the number of things that a good checklist can help you with. I used to pack and forget stuff, so now my wife packs for me. No. (laughs) Is that just your one-item checklist? (laughs) The packing thing isn't for, for like a sexist reason. 
because men aren't sexist, women are. It's uh, it's more because she, as we covered in Invisible Women, <laughs> she consistently beats me at Doctor Mario. She's like, she's really good at three D spaces. Um, so I do. I have a checklist. What's that? I was just laughing. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to interrupt with a joke. Because usually when you laugh, it's like, ha, 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 here's a funnier thing, Kellen. (laughs) So I do have a checklist template, which I customize for each trip. Um, But then she, this is true, she packs it and I take pictures of like every layer that she packs (laughs) so that I can try and replicate it for the trip home after a gig. <laughs> so like if my if my phone were ever hacked, the guy would just have to sift through like three thousand photos of laundry. <laughs> I love that that's the idea of your flirting is like a photo of hair dryer Tetris well with portable pillow. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And if she packs a row like too perfectly, it disappears. <laughs> There's a quote in the book. He says, a, ch- a checklist is for the dumb stuff. And it really is. This theme throughout the book is that checklists seem silly. But human error is just that. It's the principle that, sure, you'll remember everything that you're supposed to pack until that one time that you don't. And checklists can eliminate that. He tells a story uh, about a critical care specialist, Peter Pronovost at Johns Hopkins, which, I mean, can we talk about Johns for just a second? (laughs) Please. (laughs) It's kind of like how the plural of passerby is passersby. The plural of a John Hopkins is Johns Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, I just... If you were ever cloned, I would say, please welcome Kellens Erskine. <laughs> yeah, it just bothers me. Like Willem Dafoe. Like, how did you never just change your name to William when you have to go through life correcting everyone? Did you know Harry S. Truman, his middle name is just S? <laughs> That's how you know someone came of age in the Great Depression. <laughs> Harry's Truman. I'm Johns Hopkins, and these are my kids, uh, Daisies and Trevors. So, <laughs> so at Johns Hopkins in 2001, this critical care specialist whose name was Peters Pranavast, he <laughs> plotted out uh, steps to be taken when inserting a central line into a patient just to see if they could reduce the number of central line infections. And so it seems like a list of dumb routine stuff. Wash hands with soap, clean skin with antiseptic, put sterile drapes over the patient, wear a mask hat, gown, gloves, uh, and put a sterile dressing over the insertion site. So just these five things. But before he implemented the checklist, he had nurses observe doctors for a month and they reported back to him that with over a third of the patients, they missed at least one of these five things. Wow. So he starts this checklist, and after a year, the 10-day line infection rate at Johns Hopkins went from 11% to zero. Wow. So they estimated that they prevented at least 43 infections, eight deaths, and $2 million in costs. And if at Johns Hopkins they had been forgetting one of the five steps, you know they were also forgetting one of the multiple Johns. <laughs> So Gawande says that all of these things were prevented because of a stupid little checklist. All right. Lesson two, checklists make complex things manageable. So 
lifestyles and occupations have evolved so much faster than we have as humans. Doctors now are specialists and super specialists. Um, Atul Gawande, the author of the book, is not only a surgeon, but a cancer removal surgeon who specializes in tumors on endocrine glands. Wow. But doctors used to be just that like all-in-one doctor guy in uh, in the old movies with like that black purse briefcase thing who would just like walk to your house and tell you that your wife just needed some fresh air. <laughs> or if it was really bad, he'd like give you a spoonful of something that looked like it came from a like a glass bottle of ink. I want listeners to know that even though we may no longer have that kind of doctor who's able to treat everything, if you come to me, no matter your condition, I will have an opinion on it. <laughs> My girlfriend's a doctor, and I'm always giving her advice. <laughs> it seems like in those movies that uh, I could have figured out everything that the doctor is going to say, right? Because it's usually like he wipes his own forehead with a handkerchief after walking out of the room. And the husband's like, is she okay? And he just goes, you'll want to keep her warm. <laughs> He's wiping away his sweat because he knows nothing. <laughs> You think the doctors were bad? Remember the pharmacist in It's a Wonderful Life who gives a kid poison? <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy to me. That's my favorite movie. But there's always been a question in my mind of, um, I mean, why have a bottle of poison in a pharmacy? <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem was he turned around right after and saw his checklist that said, don't give a kid poison. He's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and it has like a skull and crossbones on it and everything. There's no reason. Oh, is this pirate medicine? <laughs> like that's what you you give that good naturedly to the someone missing a leg who walks into CVS. <laughs> is this Tylenol for skeletons? <laughs> So this this idea of that things are more complex than they ever have been. It's like how modern buildings need specialists in engineering, concrete, steelwork, plumbing, electrical, ventilation. But it used to be that there was just one master builder who ran everything. He just he knew how to run a team to make the whole pyramid himself. Spoiler alert: it was uh, aliens. <laughs> so a more recent example, after test pilots crashed the first model of the B-17 bomber, the Flying Fortress, uh, a reporter said that it was, quote, too much plane for one man to fly. He probably also added, and no woman. <laughs> and then Eowyn was like, I am no man. <laughs> So the problem with the B-17 was its added complexity. It had four engines, basically making it twice as complicated to fly as previous warplanes. So when Boeing was showing that first one to the military, it flew 300 feet up and then went straight down. Uh, all... <laughs> Wait till I get to the funny part. <laughs> Imagine you're the designer trying to save that pitch. <laughs> you're like, so we're ironing out some kinks. <laughs> We now call it the Digging Fortress. <laughs> so it, it crashed because of a simple pilot error. The error being that the pilot was like, what are all these buttons for? <laughs> so Boeing just came up with a simple checklist. They put on a three by five card with things like 
uh, make sure brakes are released, the door and windows are closed. Like these are these are real things that were on the list. Just again, dumb stuff. But with that list of dumb stuff, the next model of this plane flew 1.8 million miles without an accident. Wow. All right. Lesson three: Don't ignore a solution just because it's simple. So he points out something interesting. He says, look at the safe surgery checklist. If you found a new drug that cuts surgery complications that much, you would have TV ads about it. You'd have tons of government research. It'd be this huge industry. But the checklist is less flashy. So when this book came out in 2009, the checklist was being used in just 10% of U.S. hospitals. Since then, it's much higher, but also people don't seem to be using it very thoroughly in a lot of these places. Meanwhile, there were these robots that improved surgery results a little bit. And we spent billions of dollars on them because we think robots are cool. (laughs) So one takeaway for me is don't overlook a solution just because it seems really simple. Like I know we've hit on this the last couple episodes. I think sleep is an example of that. Getting a good night's sleep is the simple solution that cures this whole host of problems. But we often overlook it just because of its simplicity. My older brother had all the Star Wars figures, like uh, all of them. And uh, we used to play with them growing up. But the one figure that I know I never played with was the uh, the surgeon droid from Empire Strikes Back who gives Luke a new hand. <laughs> so you have like C-3PO, R2-D2, and these other sort of fun robots. But then there was just never a moment where I was like, all right, Han, time for a treatment. <laughs> so this this idea of ignoring... Don't ignore a solution just because it's simple, the way you put it. I think this is why people believe in conspiracy theories. We don't want to think that easy things make a difference or the easy things are are capable Mm. of making a difference. Uh, I know we've never brought them up on this podcast before, but this is why so many people have a hard time with the fact that a single person could kill John F. Kennedy. (laughs) You're right. When I think of topics we haven't covered enough, JFK is top of the list. (laughs) <laughs> no, we don't we don't want to think that someone as like schlubby as Lee Harvey Oswald could take the history of the world into his hands. Right. Like Mark David Chapman, the guy who killed John Lennon, he looks like such a loser that you don't like thinking that he can have such an impact on the world. I want an inspirational poster that says, even a single person can kill a more successful person. <laughs> I am not throwing away my shot. <laughs> All right. Lesson four, don't check the box before you've done the thing. Or before Abby has done the thing. (laughs) That's it, really. I'm just speaking from experience. It feels so good to check a box that I have fallen for the temptation several times of, uh, I'll just check two of these at the same time, and then I'll go grab the stuff like when I'm packing, uh, but then it ends up that I'll just like grab one and then get distracted by stepping on a Lego. And then I end up in <laughs> Kansas City with no pants. <laughs> Kansas City forgot to check the box. Make sure your city is named after the right state. <laughs> so I have a caveat about this book. Nature did an article where they said, okay, look, the surgery checklist worked in all these studies, but now it's not working very well in the real world. And part of the problem seems to be, People just aren't finishing the checklists. So I don't know what to do about that. But all this to say, it's not a silver bullet. 
I would just say that the, I, I, the checklists, in a way, are a silver bullet, but people aren't. I know that when I create a checklist for myself, it's much more exciting than when someone else gives a checklist to me. So I think he just needs to write a, a follow-up to the book, like how to win friends and <laughs> make them do their checklists. <laughs> All right, random facts. So he talks about the Citigroup building which is this 59-story building in New York. And if you've ever seen it or you've seen a photo of it, it has these like four stilts that lift up the entire building. And after they built it, someone ran a calculation and said, "Uh uh-oh, this will fall over if it gets windy. (laughs) (laughs) Where basically every few decades, New York gets wind strong enough to knock down that building. And when they realized this, there was a hurricane coming. So without telling anyone in the building, they started doing this massive secret welding project so the building wouldn't fall over when the hurricane hit. (laughs) And a little callback to Invisible Women, the person who found the problem was named Diane Hartley, and the New Yorker later ran a story where they're like, a man found this. (laughs) I'd like to think that in that meeting when the guy brought up that data, they were like... I mean, the last time it was windy was like three years ago, so I think we're good. <laughs> we'll all be dead by the time this guy... <laughs> Let's just collect our checks. And- I like how I just said it was a woman, and you're like, when the guy brought up the data. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, with your checklist, um, do you use check marks or X's? <laughs> I actually don't use either. What I do is I have these recurring checklists... And in a new situation, I'll copy and paste them over, and then I'll, I'll just delete. And then copy Dave took a full 30 seconds to answer my question. Checklist manifesto podcast prep, and then I just delete each step as I go through it. So your answer is neither. So I use, <laughs> I like to print up a lot of my checklists, like packing checklists and stuff. There's this like satisfaction that comes from it, from checking off like a physical box. I do it with my to-do lists as well. So I use X's. Or I'll draw like the Czechoslovakian flag. Um, (laughs) Also, did you know that tic-tac-toe doesn't have to be X's and O's? Really? What else can it be? Anything you want, Dave. And now I go into a song. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Well, like with my kids, I'll draw like animals or weapons. I'm usually (laughs) playing with a very young child and I'm letting them win most of the time. So often for mine, I'll draw little Ron Weasley faces because he's a loser. (laughs) So another story tells when Van Halen was touring, everyone thought they were divas because their contract said, okay, there has to be a bowl of M&Ms backstage with all the brown M&Ms taken out. But it turned out later that this was actually sort of an elaborate trick where their show was so complicated and had so much equipment that if a venue made a mistake, someone could actually die. So they knew that in their big instruction packet they sent, if they buried the brown M&Ms thing in the middle and then someone messed up on the brown M&Ms, they had probably messed up somewhere else in the show preparation. And so there would be mistakes in those other places too. So they basically... They were willing to look like divas in order to have that canary in the coal mine that would warn them about something terrible happening. Whenever I'm going to have surgery, I do the same thing for my (laughs) pre-op. There needs to be, in my abdominal cavity, a bowl of M&M, browns removed. (laughs) 
I once got this surgery, and when I'm in the pre-op room, the surgeon started playing one of my ads for the other <laughs> like doctors, and that's the last thing I remember seeing before I passed out. <laughs> I had a hernia when I was six, and I remember vividly the gas mask, the nurse coming at me with the mask, and he said, all right, I'm going to put this on you and I want you to count to 10. But when he said count to 10, I heard breathe in. So he puts that on my face and I just go, <gasps> and that, it was like out <laughs> just immediately. <laughs> so in the book, Gawande, he gives this example of in police work, the checklist could help actual situations that have happened happened where they forget to tell a witness that the perpetrator of the crime may not be in the lineup. <laughs> mm. I just, it's so sad, but funny at the same time. How many times does it happen where the victim is thinking, well, I guess I have to pick somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like how some people pick their spouse. <laughs> I think a good checklist for those cops to have would be a step that says, remember that eyewitness testimony has been proved incredibly unreliable. <laughs> in any police lineup, here's what should happen. A cop should bring in the witness and give them instructions on the lineup, step out of the room, and then five cops come in and they say, okay, which cop just gave you the instructions? <laughs> and if the witness can't pick out the cop, they don't get to pick out the perp. <laughs> So when Gawande was working with the World Health Organization, they tested his surgical checklist in a hospital, and only 80% of the staff said that it improved overall care. But then they asked the staff if they themselves were having an operation, would they want the checklist? And 94% of them said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a humid reaction to think like, I'm not dumb enough to need a checklist, but everyone else is. <laughs> so I, I love this quote from the book. He says, checklists provide a kind of cognitive net. They catch mental flaws inherent in all of us, flaws of memory, attention, and thoroughness. So this is a true story. <laughs> a couple months ago, I was on my way to the laundromat, as you know, where I write. Because <laughs> things are going well. Well. <laughs> no, Dave, it's a choice. You know what really gets my creative juices flowing is the sweet smell of detergent. The clickety-clack of washers being opened and shut. The thumpity-thump of when someone breaks the rules and puts their shoes in a dryer. <laughs> the air of suspicion of people guarding their laundry from others who they think might steal it. By the way, it's not, it's not like a sketchy one. Nobody worries about their clothes. <laughs> I'm the only one stealing them. <laughs> so I was on my way. And I stopped at a Taco Bell. I was deep in thought uh, about the, these issues that I was having with the script. And I pulled all the way up to the window. And they were like, that'll be $19. And I was they gave him my credit card. And then after she ran it, I was like, wait, I didn't order anything. <laughs> so you went through the order window and snatched somebody else's order? No, I didn't even take their food. I just paid for it. 
Like I had my window up when I went past the microphone, like wasn't even thinking about it. So I just said, let the car behind me know that I'm paying for them today. It was partially out of charity, but also out of like the very confused look on her face. Like she did not know how to backtrack this order. So now I have this checklist that's like, first order food. <laughs> okay, to recap, our four favorite lessons from the checklist manifesto. One. Checklists help you apply what you already know. Two, checklists make complex things manageable. Three, don't ignore a solution just because it's simple. Wow, we really ruined the parallel structure there. Four, don't check the box before you've done the thing. And five, if you're listening to this, you're welcome for the free chalupas. (laughs) 